Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of I'm Thinking of Spoiling Things, the show where myself, that's Stephen, and my good friend Vaughan. Hello Vaughan. Hey Stephen, how are you doing? Um, I'm doing very, very well, thank you. Uh, This is the show where we take on the recent releases and talk at length about them in either agreeable or disagreeable terms, we'll find out. Um, Got quite a lot to talk about today of recent high-profile things. I feel like we were talking about interesting things, but we were kind of like going a bit away from the mainstream, perhaps, to find interesting things. And now, (laughs) all the movies. Movies are back. Movies are back. back. They're back in a big way. This might be our most up-to-date current episode in terms of releases. Yeah, I think so. Um, And there, there, there are things coming out that... There's quite a lot coming out now that I'm, I'm maybe not excited in terms of quality, but I'm definitely going to watch. Yeah, awards um, season Which, which interests up. me. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, I forget about that. Oh. <laughs> oh, always an interesting time. With the, the, the films that uh, are so strong quality-wise, they need to release them close to when the debate is happening. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that, that, that's how confident <laughs> they are about them. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's how it works. It makes sense. Um, one second. I need to pull a cat out of a sink. No problem. I know you want me in the sink. You love the sink, but the sink is not for you. There you go. The thing is, I'm sure when we're normally recording, he just is in the sink, but I don't usually have <laughs> a view of the sink. So this time he doesn't get away with it. He's probably just like, I'm always here. This is what I do. Um, yeah, the cat is in the sink. So um, we're going to go through our, our usual um, format today. So we've got a, a bit of a grab bag, um, a, a notable grab bag, got some stuff to talk about. And then our main feature, so our, our feature billing, our headline act, is um, Moon Age Daydream, the David Bowie documentary, um, yeah. which will be interesting because we come from differing levels of familiarity yes. with David Bowie. Very, very will, much so. That we will, that we will unpick um, before that. <clears throat> so, and then, of course, a, a few emails at the end. Um, so the grab bag, what have you got for us? Reach into that bag, Vaughn, and, and grab out a movie, please. I've got a few movies here. I think let's mm. go ahead and I think what we'll do is kind of start at the bottom and kind of work our way up in quality. Um, okay, so good. Let's I, start. I know what we're starting with. <laughs> let's start with a movie that both of us watched yesterday and is a hotly oh. debated film. Um, mm but that we both determined is not at all worth having a full episode about, and that's Don't Worry Darling. Yeah, this movie is, uh, like, I, I went to see it with, with Emma, and I just left it, and was just like, that's one of the worst things I've seen in a while. It is very much genuinely, so. truly, truly, almost, like, resplendently awful. Um, I, our, our friend friend of the show, obviously, he gives us um, some music, and friend in general, Jack, um, was then saw our ratings drop and i think later saw rainier's rating drop but that that came that did come before this comment and was on that thing of being like you know is is basically is is this a car crash that i go watch and um generally if you're listening at home we actually are going to spoil bits of this so yes. often we avoid spoilers in the grab bag but no we are so you know there are timestamps skip ahead but i actually think it's a public service announcement to spoil this movie um because people should not watch it because it's abysmal however um if you want to go watch it because it's going to be fun Work out when the film starts and when the last 20 minutes are happening and go watch the last 20 minutes because you'll have a blast because those oh, minutes yeah. are just incomprehensibly terrible. But in that kind of like cat's kind of way of being like, I cannot believe this is happening. The hour and 40 minutes before that 
really quite dull. Yeah, uh, let me. I'm just going to read directly here what I said to Jack when he said I enjoy watching train crashes. I said it's less of a train crash and more like a gross puddle of cloudy, stagnant water that you hate looking at and mm. you don't even know why you're looking at it. It's yeah, no, it's, it's totally not enjoyable it. to to watch even as a as a train crash. There's not even like I in my review that is not well, I think the last up. 20 minutes is um, I think the I think the last the last 20 minutes is an absolute spectacle train crash I genuinely think so oh, god it is something else that I was talking to Maul on the way home from seeing this and and I was trying to understand because all you can do is try to understand this movie which is completely incomprehensible but mm. I, the way mm. I was trying to Utterly frame incoherent. it was like the only way that anything about that ending makes sense is if they filmed the entire film and then decided at the very last minute to add that ending in without considering any of what happens before it and how it actually makes any sense with what the ending is. Yeah, so I was I was having because again, this is as I put in my review, which is on letterbox.com, like it's it's almost like a piece of like interactive fiction, is it it, it makes you finish the film for it because it is completely missing explanations. Now both of us like ambiguous things that make you grasp with yes. ideas this is not ambiguous it's not. just unfinished and empty this is there's no like there's no themes that it's playing around with you're like oh can this be this or that it's just like i generally like it's 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 not that it's ambiguous it's that there are answers that you're not told and it's because yes. i presume the scriptwriters haven't thought about it like they're just like they generally can't answer these things so therefore it is not in the movie the the way i described it in in the review i wrote which might be out um, by the time that this podcast is out mm. but i was i, I was kind of comparing it in the sense of what are like other films that do this thing at the end where it changes the the context of the rest of the movie with the, that sort of twist ending and this yeah. movie thinks that it's doing that it thinks that it's being oh, yes. like um the prestige or f for fake or something like that where it recontextualizes the movie at the end and you realize oh it was it was there all along and i just wasn't wasn't seeing it the movie was misdirecting me it, it's not that at all it's just a twist ending that exists, and then you look back at the rest of the movie, and you go, "Well, now none of it makes sense." There's no, also, there's no like epiphany where you're like, "Oh, thing. this, I get it now." It's just why all it does is give you more questions that you don't even want to answer. Like it doesn't matter. It is, it is the narrative equivalent of a child ending a story with, and they woke up and it was all a dream. It, it, it's basically that little thing. Like it just like has. The amount of questions opened up by the choice they make at the end, because it's not like it's like a clever twist like this was going on. Right. They just make up a thing. They just invent like a whole like incredibly complicated system. So I mean, I presume people listening have watched it. So it turns out, okay. So in fact, I, I hope you haven't seen it if you listen to this. So don't worry, darling. Um, it is 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 set in the fifties, and from the beginning, you're like. This is so such a caricature of the fifties. This obviously is not the fifties. Yeah, this I will is say clearly that, not the fifties. That's the other thing is, it tries to present itself this way, but there's never any false sense of security. It is off from no. the very first second, so there's no tension being built because you know that something's yeah. wrong the entire time, and it's just not interesting. You're just like, get get to the point. And you're just like, why are the characters okay with this? Like, it's it's obviously like really disturbing that in this like crazy cult manufactured community that just like is just like the limits of the world of this, of this small village like it's 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 so fake it's so contrived it's so obviously everyone is suspicious and like there are bad things going on there are so many things that are just there to be just like boringly symbolic um so the main character her name is alice get it yeah yeah down the rabbit hole very very clever um in the movie 
um, in in this what we find out is a is a simulation. Her second name is Chambers. Get that because you know what? Like she's like locked up. Oh, but what's her name when she's outside of it? Warren. Oh, down the rabbit hole. Oh, very clever movie. Very very clever. I absolutely oh. despise this film. Um, another character called Bunny. Ah, again. Oh, oh, clever, 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 clever. The men are working for a place called Progressive Materials. Get it? Because it's actually very regressive around here. It's actually very very regressive, and it's just full. And oh oh, there's a club called the Dollhouse. The club is called the Dollhouse with the Dollhouse band because everything's treated like dolls. Even the work that you're doing now is like more credit than the film actually deserves. Like watching it play out, it is so completely nothing. Like these things are just there, but they aren't even interesting mm. details. It's just like you kind of just are the whole time. It's just like, okay, so what? And so many things that? happen that you just can't even are just never so connected suspicious to anything. Suspicious Town USA. Suspicious Town USA, the most suspicious, fake-looking, like, everything you want to question about, and then just weird things happen in the background, and, like, but not, like, interestingly weird. They're, like, they're legitimately incomprehensibly weird. Um, and characters just roll with it constantly. And later you find out because characters are, for reasons that don't really make sense, and, like, logistically don't make sense, because there's no logistics of the film being, like, lobotomized, pretty much, of being, like, electroshocked into compliance. But, oh, but God, I, I didn't even think about that. this, but Maul pointed this out, of, like, they're being electroshocked within the simulation. No, like, no, like, I don't think so. Like, what is think... the reason for it? No, I don't think so. I think they're being electroshocked, like, as in the people come and get them in the real world, and then they shock them and plug them back in again because like they're kept in a point of just like this is the reason I have such a conversation because the movie doesn't just explain itself at no point does it explain itself so we are left to just like presume so what's implied because it wants to be ambiguous because it has nothing to actually say is that you get unplugged from the simulation or you leave it but she is kept so the wives that are plugged in these fake wives are kept in a state of just like subsistence where they can't actually like feed themselves or control themselves so I think that's the electroshock is to keep them in that state because then he was kind of like dabbing her and like wetting her yeah. lips and stuff. So I think she woke up out of it and they electroshocked her so they can plug her back in because she needs to be knocked out um, and basically just like just out of it so they can get her to go into it. To me, the For no, but, right, the most important the question behind this is wild. To me is just, I mean, really the only question for this entire movie is just why. It has this twist at mm. the end and there is no, it just doesn't, it can't justify itself in any way, and there's no reason for it to be this way, even in in the things that it explains. Like, so these men have a couple of hours in the morning and the evening that they spend yeah. with these fake wives, and then during the day they, they leave the simulation and then have to work terrible jobs in real life. And I'm I, just like, that I, seems I, to be implied. I just to don't pay know for like, it. What then... is the benefit? For any, like, it just makes no sense to me. If you can create a simulation, I, why do they need to, like, trap real women as a part of it? There's fake I, children. I, 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 I know, I know, I know, I know. All of this is just, and, and why is Chris Pine in it? Like, is he in there all the time? Is Chris Pine, like, like you can make the better movie in your head, like, because there are bits that don't make sense. Yes. So the, the bits that make sense is just, like, the, the, um, the level of detail in this simulation is wild. It's so bespoke. Like, it's so beyond the technology we have at the moment. But then it's also absolute crap. Like it, it just makes no they, sense. They have discrepancies in it. Like everyone's got the same background. I'm like, so right. you can create this like wild, detailed simulation with all these things work. But then you just can't write an extra line of like dialogue for like just gives give them a background. Like what? Like and like part of me wants to say, okay, 
like this is me. This is me. This is not the right. at all. The a level of critique here is that Chris Pine is also a pathetic man because he is, and it kind of implies, but it doesn't do it because the film has no substance. That Gemma Chan's character is also in on it, and that she's really the power behind the throne, um, and realizes that Chris Pine is the himbo that can just like say nonsense. I kind of like the idea if the film actually did it of also Chris Pine kind of sucks. And like he's not very good at this, and it's actually a not very good simulation because he's actually not that great. Right, but it's just you have to make up a film to make that make sense. Yeah, that's that's really it. Like it just if, and that's why like my my thought of like the only way this makes sense, and it sounds like from some of the things that have come out that this is basically what it is. That it only makes sense if this twist was just added on, and was never you know investigated as how it connects to the rest of the movie because it just it being a simulation just makes no sense if you're going to create a simulation why why does it have to be so weirdly suspicious and cult like like why could it not just make them feel like they're part of actual like why is it not like the matrix why does it have to be this weird creepy community yeah it's also just not interesting it's not an interesting simulation it's not an interesting place to watch or like to regard it like the ways that are creepy are not interesting they're all just like it's just like echoes of Suspiria it's echoes of the village it it feels to me like they were making a movie and someone went home watched the village on Netflix and was just like oh Olivia damn it they made this movie already (laughs) they're like I've seen Serenity from 2019 let's chuck the ending of that movie on it instead and I just but and just for no reason, two, if you are, die in the simulation, you die in real life. That yeah, like <laughs> he gets hit by like a jar or something, and therefore he's dead. But like that, but how? It doesn't make any sense at all. Um, it's just genuinely incomprehensible. Like none of the way. Like there's a, a fake plane in the sky for no reason. I, I, but it's a plane never, from earlier. Never explained. Makes no it's sense. That'd be weird. It makes literally no sense. And like she walks like five. Like they do a drive at real high speed to get out to this like famous house. Which is yeah, she walked that. She walks there, and I see her looking at it. I'm like, "You've walked so far," and then and that's just how you leave. <laughs> you just touch a door and leave. And they have like these NPCs, maybe, or are they employees in their little like right. kind of like helper jackets who don't have cars and have to carjack everyone, and then they just climb the mountain like it's Skyrim. It's what? just like, what is going on? I don't know. And like that character Margaret, who they sort of like she also the, sort of maybe figures it out and she terrible. had a kid and then she walks into the desert and then they take the kid away and i'm like what because well, the, the kid was never real so they're just like we don't have it's a fake just, kid but it's, <laughs> right but it's it's just yeah i mean there's really no reason to think about it or spend any time thinking about it because you come out of the movie the and you go and nothing about that it. made sense and you just don't care it's just like it's not worth it the film drops a concept so large it needs its own world building yes it is its own narrative and it drops it in the last 20 minutes and just expects you to just deal with it and yeah. like you could make the film about that interestingly like, they could genuinely make the film very about this so. like rise of like technological advanced incel culture about that it is looking at women and like have it be a, like a suspension of disbelief of the technology but you could make an interesting film about this man is doing this and like there's a metaphor there for these people who are so obsessed with like 4chan reddit yeah. discord whatever they get lots of these things and of internet relationships being read different ways and presumed submissity submissiveness of women that's the movie you could make i was reading about it and it seems that in an original version of the script they revealed it as a simulation 20 minutes in if you're gonna do the simulation thing, it makes so that's much what you more do. sense. Yeah, and that's the movie that you make. Um, 
But talking to Emma about it, a much more interesting film is if it is a cult. If it is genuinely right. a brainwashing cult of, no, we are forcing you to live this way. That's actually much more apt. That's actually Because it is the Trump, it is the Trump yeah. made America great again idea. It is, that is at the core of it. They've talked about how it's Jordan Peterson. Like, it kind of is. But it's very much men, white men, like, linking back to this time when things were better for them because they had control yeah. and because other people did not have control and their control has got out of that and things were on their terms and discretion and compliance and they were like, you know what, haven't we lost our way? That should be the social experiment that this guy right. is set up this thing and we're actually doing that. That's actually an interesting film. And I think that's what is so like ultimately disappointing about this movie is that every other imaginable possibility is so mm. much more interesting than the movie that you're actually yes. watching. If you have that twist 20 minutes in or even halfway into the movie, it's like you have something so much more interesting, but they they do it with such little time left. There's no possible way that they can answer any of the questions that you have. Yeah. And it's not interesting to think about because most of the movie is just so one note and you don't care. Yeah. Oh, it's so drawn out. So, boring. Like, you know, Cabin in the Woods, which is the movie I haven't watched for a long time, but I really, really love. I like that movie and a lot. Like, where Cabin... Cabin in the Woods is great because, like, you have that opening and then you cut to somewhere. You're like, what is going on? Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, this feels like if Cabin in the Woods, the last 20 minutes was when you found out about the entire meta layer of the movie. And you're right. like, sorry, what? This has been going on the whole time? What are you talking about? As opposed to interspersed throughout. Right, like, that movie works because you're watching these tropes and then it yes. pulls back and they're discussing the tropes and you get to, like, it, it's playful with it the whole time. And this movie is not that. From the it beginning, is you know what's going on. trying yeah. to pretend that it's one thing the entire time and that thing is not interesting. So and then it throws a twist at you and you just go, what? Like, I don't... Why am I bothered? The, the film critic Mark Kermode said in his review that you just, like, the actual twist that happens... It's not that it's predictable, but it's one of the five twists that you know is going to happen. And when yeah. it happens, you're like, yep, that's one of the five. Like, because you, you know something's coming. Like, you, you, like I'm right. waiting. And it's the most drawn out, boring period. It feels like the film was made at random until that point. Like, uh, I mean, bless her. Florence Pugh is, is good because she's a good actor. But she is holding this movie together. That just yeah. it together. Every scene for the first hour feels randomly out of order. Just like begins in random places, drops in random places. And then later, they kind of like drop into like it's kind of like the weird logic of the game but that doesn't even make sense because she's plugged in it the whole time she's not losing time she's always right. there I just I there's never any like justification for any of the things that happen within the simulation like why yeah why is there what no is this... in it why can't they change things why can't they do things right like what is this technology where they are in the simulation but it seems like all of them kind of understand that they're in a simulation like they're all somewhat Conch, it's just so it's so bizarre to me it's, like what there's no understanding of what the thrust is of like why she has any point where she has just like waking up stupid movie. it's just incredibly incredibly stupid and we just wait for her to just like just uh, there's, there's, there's a bit towards the beginning when she's like and it, again it's because it's so contrived and it's just so it doesn't deal with anything so she's it could be a cool idea she's cracking she says she's gonna make deviled eggs and they didn't do anything with that. They like they make it this big deal, being like, "I'm gonna the part, the part never even happens." And it's like, "I'm gonna make tuna. I'm gonna make the Yeah, and it's like and a big goes, deal she... that that Chris Pine's character doesn't like tuna in the simulation. Yeah, yeah like, I know. I, and then later they have a salmon, but he's a big salmon fan. Um, so she takes out these eggs and she feels them in her hand. And because we're not in the film, we're like, "Would well, you just staring at an egg?" And then later we realize, "Oh, because you feel their light." And she and she crumbles them. And I mean, it's that Matrix moment, right? right? It's the when you realize the spoon isn't a spoon, you can bend the spoon. So she is like, 
clocking onto the fact that these eggs shouldn't because she's thinking being like how do you even get these eggs anyway and she realizes it isn't an egg but nothing comes out of that yeah There's that's no, like, 30 minutes into the film make... and then nothing really happens for the next hour and a half until it ends but they set up like a thing of being like, I'm making this thing. There's, there's actually a conflict there of, I couldn't make this meal for the boss's dinner. And then her being like, well, the eggs are empty. And then they'd be like, what do you mean the eggs? Like, that's, yeah. they could, plot points that come an hour later when they're like, are you, are you mad? And she's like, no, I'm not mad. I just, but mad things happen from minute two. And right. no one really cares. That's the thing is it's like about 10 minutes into the movie, you go, okay, here's this woman who is sort of like in this world where all the wives are like, submissive subservient people and all the men around her are gaslighting her while she thinks yeah. that things are suspicious she makes an entire roast and then just pushes it off the table right like you figure that out and then that's just the whole movie nothing ever changes nothing ever yeah. subverts those expectations nothing ever really yeah. means anything it doesn't even really have anything to say about that it just exists and then yeah. it has a twist and then it ends yeah uh it's a really it's, bad movie it's legitimately terrible it's, it's so legitimately terrible um i was kind of in awe um harry styles bless him tries very very hard um it's interesting that apparently also in the earlier script that chris pine's character maybe maybe wasn't really a thing um and that the whole idea was that the partner character was taking advantage of it being the 50s and that's his way of asserting dominance and was was just coercively controlling and was abusive but the reason that he got away with that is because of that backdrop right that's again a more interesting film but because here's my presumption because it's harry styles because it's the most popular pop star on the planet he becomes this like sanitized nothing character because he needs to be somewhat sympathetic like somewhat likable they can't have him being just like this horrible person so therefore they have to have this chris pine indoctrinated character yeah, just... who's kind of a nothing anyway yeah it it just really it just never makes sense and it will continually make you go why and what and then you'll leave and you realize that it doesn't matter and none of the answers matter because it's just so, bad <laughs> there's, there's a film you shouldn't see because it's not very good um it's called i came by um it's by the same person that directed um under the shadow it came out like about a month ago on netflix and it has a moment i would generally recommend i need to find the time code only watch this clip of this movie okay because it's hilarious like it's utterly hilarious so i'm going to spoil this movie forgive me um it's just not very good um so watch mccallin from downton i forget his name mr from from paddington and downton the posh man actor ben wishaw is that who you're looking for no no well i don't man i don't know what that means you know there's many people in paddington and i don't know the cast of downton that much um let me look up just all names all names leave my mind because he's 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 kind of a um why is he hugh bonneville so hugh bonneville is a um like celebrated lawyer who's now retired he was a judge sorry and um it turns out pretty early on we realize that he's pretty much like kidnapping immigrants basically and killing them in his basement is pretty much what he's doing okay (laughs) yeah um but he can get away with it because he's a judge and um george mckay who plays the least convincing kind of like activist graffiti artist of all time it's very very funny um so he gets the police to actually come by and they actually find the room down below and he's just like oh no this is my panic room and they're like oh this makes sense until one lady says wait a minute and she goes to look at the peephole and she's peephole and goes 
because she realizes the peephole is the wrong way round. So it's not looking out of the room, it's looking into the room. And Hugh Potterville just like closes the door and goes, Oh, I thought you were one of the smart ones. You're not going to get away with this. For no reason. What? He just becomes like very... <laughs> he just like, just turns and is like, Oh, you thought you were being clever, did you? I'll get away with it. It's just like, why did you say that? <laughs> what did you do? What is going on? And just and then he just like breaks back to, yeah, absolutely fine. And like, there's no hint of that in the in the wider movie at all. Oh, he just has so this like weird. one moment of just like, <laughs> just strange. It's like he's possessed. He's like, oh, you're being clever, are you? And then it's just like, bam, to it. And that just reminded me so much of in Don't Worry Darling when Chris Pine just like, everyone was like, I was waiting for someone to push me. I'm like, were you? Are you? Right, what like, is going on? Yeah, there are so many threads that it just introduces and and then it just drops them and then later you're kind of yeah. like wait what what was that like it's that like, plane did, yeah and then that some mean? of the so many of the things that chris pine's character does that just you're just like and then why? jim chan just just stabs him which i think is a contrived like i know there's a lot of girl bossing in this movie and it, it seems like a like i don't know what i'm supposed to feel at that moment am i supposed to like right. yeah jim chan get him but i'm like i'm also pretty sure that she's very involved in this that if anything she might be in charge of this thing but because the film just explains itself yeah the film is absolutely terrible do not watch it it's abysmal um we've both written very acerbic um reviews on it <laughs> yes. Read both those instead um but let's move on from that to something yeah, that it's is just awful. Slightly better, but also does not largely work, which is See How They Run, which we both watched. Oh recently. god, yeah, I forgot that was <laughs> it is very forgettable. Um also It is it is unfortunate. We certainly spent much more time on Don't Worry Darling than I expected, but I, I don't think there's a we whole spent lot exactly to as much say time as I thought that we would. It's just it does a th- I was really excited for this film. Really, really excited for this film. I thought the trailers looked very, very funny. I liked the kind of like Wes Anderson style in a time when I have been disappointed by Wes Anderson films. Because as we know, as you've said in a recent podcast, that film was bad. <laughs> you didn't like it. Um, and and then people like you went to go see it and didn't like it. And I was like, no, no, no. Maybe there's like a, a Britishness here. Maybe my Britishness will come through. I love Agatha Christie. And we, we've, again, the layers that our Stephen get peeled back every now and then. <laughs> I realized like, like, like I, I mentioned this in the, in the, in my um, Poirot um, definitely not review, but like the currency in our house growing up, like the, the culture we watched all the time was whodunits. Like, and the books we had in our shelf were just Agatha Christie books and and Simonons and stuff. So all we watched as like a family were just like all the Poirots, um, all the Miss Marples, all the Inspector Morse, etc., etc., etc. This is this is my jam. This is my bread yeah. and butter. Oh, it's based on Agatha Christie play I've never seen. I've always wanted to see. But it's based around it. It's a whodunit based around a whodunit. Oh, it's so clever and looks funny. And it's Wes Anderson style, so it's pretty good, right? It's great. And I, and I think like Knives Out really has like ushered in like this whole new like surge of these like whodunit style movies, which I'm all yeah. for. I think it's such a totally a winning formula to me that I think can be very fun. But the other thing when you have like this sort of resurgence of genre is that everyone wants to do something clever and different and they want to play with it and often that just doesn't work and this movie's whole thing is like it's a whodunit but we're going to be meta about it and we're going to talk about whodunits and it talks about all this stuff and then it just does that stuff and you go okay you're not doing anything clever just because you're meta but my my issue as like pedant and as like big whodunit fan of it's a it's a structurally bad whodunit that if you're going to do the meta deconstructive thing, you need to actually nail the thing. Yes. So, they the murder happens in the theater, and all the suspects are there. So I'm like, well, this is when you quiz everyone, right? And they're like, oh, okay. And they and then they and then like two days later, they it's decide so to weird. quiz the person who had a fight with the person that was killed 
10 minutes before they died. I'm like, why are we waiting this long? Just the actual police work, the actual like investigation, the actual whodunit structure is terrible. And when they actually reveal who did it at the end, you're like, oh, I guess that was another speaking part. It's Fine. such a boring reveal. It's so uninteresting. And I think it's like another thing where it's kind of just a reveal in service of you weren't expecting this, but it's like, I also don't like this. I don't want to be seeing this. Yeah. And it doesn't, I mean, not that I think that any of the real, any of the answers would be that interesting because none of the characters are really interesting, but at well, least yeah, if, problem, you, if you make the reveal a character that we know, there's something to that. And instead it just goes, here's this guy you forgot about and has done nothing. And you're like, okay. Yeah, there was just know? some boring, very functional red herrings that all absolutely suck. Um, and generally, I, I saw a bus go past that had the poster for it. Um, and it's one of those again Wes Anderson style Budapest yeah. Hotel style and it's got like all the little portraits and if I'd have really thought about it and saw that post before I'd go why is that guy on the poster and I'm like oh he's on the poster because he's a good killer. point yeah you kind of have to put him in there but he has maybe three lines before he's revealed as the killer yeah I know I shouldn't have I should have I should have used gentage pronouns I'm sorry for, for ruining the movie um, but like also they're on the poster looking really suspicious <laughs> well i'm like why is there a random suspicious looking man oh because they did it um and okay i'm gonna be uh again a mocker of myself the representation of this movie of agatha christie is just absolutely insulting <laughs> absolutely insulting i not that i know a whole lot about agatha christie as as a person i've read a few of her books i like agatha christie but mm. i thought that choice was so bizarre because it's insulting it's horrible <laughs> i just went oh that's they make her try and murder somebody for no reason and i just I, I i mean she just comes on screen and i go oh that's moaning myrtle from harry potter and then it's supposed to be agatha christie and i'm just like there's no like what are you doing this brilliant crime writer they once suggest that she was just like i'm just gonna kill this guy <laughs> like, like, right. and then and then you also that she prepares it by poisoning a tea and then that she has like the stupidity to put all the teas around in a circle right get which one as opposed to just like there's one cup in the middle like like she, she's written all these great like she, crime she novels. has this clever thing she that she's gonna she's do but doing. she's also portrayed as like a bumbling person that would make this simple mistake like, absolute bumbling <laughs> idiot that then just kills a and again the optics of the oh and then just the help died by mistake and it's just like <laughs> it's funny because the butler That's, died I'm like does not deal just, with that at all you yeah. just you just killed that man. Like, I'm crazy. just <laughs> murdered somebody at the end of this movie. Oh, uh, yeah. See, the, the, here's the issue. See how they run. Um, is that it's a comedy and it's a whodunit. And it's a bad comedy. It's a bad whodunit. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. It's, there's just, just the whole time you're just kind of like, I, I don't, yeah. It, it's such a shrug of a movie. And there's Sucks. parts of it that are, are decent. But yeah, it's like when the reveal is bad and everything leading up to it is not that interesting. And like you said, like the, police work itself is not good it's just oh. kind of they stumble into things and they keep the talking they about have sam rockwell's character actually work out in the end is also just like what this guy is like horrible this guy is just like making things worse for everybody around him is just a mess and actually the fake solution is set up actually requires interesting police work yes. it requires some deduction and they go oh what about this instead right Ugh. yeah oh man it yeah, it very much does. Like, there are moments where there's a bit of actual work and they come to an actual conclusion and then they get to the actual ending. It's just kind of like, and then they figured it out. 
And you go, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just so they can put yeah. everyone in Agatha Christie's house for the conclusion, I guess. Yes. And they oh, can do the thing it. that they kept talking about the whole movie. And it's just like, all right, you know, you did it. Uh, very clever of you ridiculous. to talk about what you absolutely were going to do ridiculous. and then do it. That's, <laughs> I'm very impressed. You may have watched the trailer and thought, Sasha Ronan looks great in this. She's absolutely, she is absolutely brilliant. She is great. And you may have thought, she's, she's the main character, right? No. There's a reason why they imply that she's the main character in the trailers. Because, ooh, the actual kind of like primary inspector, Sam Rockwell, is just like, she's so energetic and fun. And then he just saps all the energy from <sighs> yeah. every scene and makes it not funny. He's just like this bumbling, just like ridiculous. Like, he needs to be like straight man, just like by the book kind of person not this like weird sad sack alcoholic with issues but uh, then no. and shown to be a dinosaur but then actually gets it right in the end after actually making it worse for everyone and actually it shows that that he actually uh, it's just yeah movie also bad swap the actors if adrian brody was like the main detective i think i would have been much more interested in that performance i mean yeah a, a reminder that adrian brody is a racist and that he's not good to see in the movies but yeah yeah I take back my statement because I did not know that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah if people if people are, if people are interested, just just Google or being Adrian Brody SNL and then read about um, that time when he decided to do that. And again, it is very clear from the writers that like no one wrote that for him and knew he was going to do that. That's just a thing he decided to do. Ooh, that's not great. But look, look, let's step away. Let's step away time. from a racist actor in a bad movie that we don't like, and uh, let's mm. talk about some. A couple of movies, one that I very much like and that you like a little bit less, and yeah. one that we both like a lot. Um, yes. But let's talk awesome. about Saloon. Really cool film. What is Saloon? Go on, tell me about it. Um, so Saloon is a film from Senegal, and it is centered mm-hmm. around three mercenaries. Um, they're known as the hyenas, and yeah, they yeah. are tasked with extracting a drug lord in the middle of a coup. And their plane crashes, and they kind of end up in this sort of mystical that's part the first 10 minutes, yeah that that's is like the first 10, 10 minutes, minutes and that's in fact oh, maybe that, even five minutes the opening is so fantastic but yeah they, they land mm-hmm. in sort of this mystical region of senegal known as saloon and they are in this sort of i don't know what, how, what would you refer to like that village that they yeah, are in? a commune like it's the, it, yeah it's, it, it's a commune meets kind of like but for people that are just like dropping by right so it's, it's a it's a it's a it's a pay your way kind of like thing of everyone's collective effort makes this residential place go and and the things that i like about it and there's a lot to like about here of i think it does a really good job of showing how people confront as being um really progressive and open and enriching the culture yes well actually they are parasites on that culture and it's very easy to be like hippie-ish and out there um when you're on the fringes of things and when you're not actually linked to the town because then later we see them go actually into the town and they are actually it works out it's on this bougie thing and again it's 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 that reminder that these systems trap people of how people can use facades of collectivism and like communal work to just force people to do labor for them and that's realistically what's happening it's this kind of like cult benevolent cult kind of thing that seems on the surface like yeah everyone's making their way by and it goes yeah but how are they doing that and how is this 
working by and what are we actually underpinning for doing this so that that stuff very cool and this very much is like that false sense of security kind of thing where you there i think mm. there's sort of an assumption that when they go into this like oh this is a really cool sort of thing where like everyone like there's like this collective effort yeah and there's this very kind of cool guy that's in charge of it and then you slowly come to realize that there's more going on beneath the surface and that maybe this guy is sort of using this as a facade to hide his his very dark past I think what's really cool about it is because you think that the conflict is something else. So you think the conflict is these arbiters of violence, these like nexus points of conflict being brought into a a, a neutral zone, being brought into like an oasis of calm. Right. And that they're going to bring conflict into this place. It, 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 it's like um, to make a, a perhaps a lazy comparison, but it's like back around that sense of you, you have the sense yeah. of like this is about to become a place of violence and it shouldn't have been. And then you realise no yeah. someone is here of intent and they are here to flip things and it engages with the fact that there are things beneath always in these places that we need to engage with and that we can't just pave over and move on um yeah and there's i'm describing this like i like it more than i do and i'll get to why i don't like it as much as you in a second but it's a very cool film it is a very cool film and i love how often it has like these turns where you it sets up these certain expectations and then it builds to these moments where then it changes sort of the context of what's going on and your understanding yeah. of motivations and um, these different characters like positions in this space. And then all this stuff plays out and then it sort of builds back up and then takes, you know, more turns. And I think it's very effective in the way that it sort of continues to reinvent itself and it never feels out mm. of place. I think that's really cool. I, I, so now if, if I'm going to throw a critique at it I, I think it's a really good movie I really really enjoyed it um, and I really recommend that people go out and watch it um, it's on Shudder um, I just it's I often get this like I watch a movie and I'm really pleased that it's short and I'm like yeah 80 minutes fantastic and then I'm always just like uh, there was more scope here like you're dealing right. with more things than what's going on here and I, I, I like the film is dynamic but it moves on too quickly all the time and there is not enough room for I its think actual parts to breathe and express itself, which is a real shame to me. Because every, my main critique of this is every minute I'm watching the film, it works 100%. But those moments don't connect together for me. Like totally. In the moment, every sequence is incredibly compelling and really well shot and really put together. But then there's a sequence three minutes later that feels oddly disconnected. I'm going with it because it's inherently right. compelling. But when I try and hang the piece together, it, it feels quite flimsy. And I think the last 20 minutes, when it goes, it becomes basically the end of Uncharted 3, um, <laughs> to make a ridiculous comparison, it's, it's, it just... It takes a left turn that I think, again, to allude to Don't Worry Darling, but nowhere near to that extent of there are things here, there is groundwork here that needs to be laid more than you are doing so and you're not making the most of your potential here it's got actual potential and interest and it's got some really striking visual ideas but it so wants to surprise you and wrong foot you and be subversive and bold and cool and slick that it doesn't actually engage with the substance it almost inherently has yeah i will say i really like that sort of um dynamism there is to it and how it it does reinvent itself but i think there's also like you said like there's there's such an argument to be made for there are sort of several movies going on in here and it would all mm. it could be just as effective if not more effective if they had just gone in that one direction like this this turns into a horror movie and i think it's a really cool sort of horror movie that it turns into but i think that you could sort of remove that and just go from that sort of first act turn where that that sort of main reveal happens and you could just build off of that and it would be just as compelling of a film um yes 
I do like that it reinvents itself, but yeah, I think I think your complaints are are certainly valid. I, I think I'm also I'm more interested in the human dynamics and the spiritual dynamics of the film, and I feel that that once you've made that shift, it just moves on from the beginning part, and I just it, it, generally, it, I mean, you know, it's 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 a low budget film, uh, proof of concept stuff. It's exactly what it needs to be. Yeah, and this is the when you get to make that bigger longer because you only make a film looking this slick on the kind of budget it obviously has by keeping it actually actually quite short and by doing clever things for the dynamics they do so whatever is done next cannot wait yeah and I, I think that just the the construction of it is so great like in, in more of a production sense like the costumes are awesome yeah. um the sets yeah. are great and, and just the way that it's shot i think is so great i mean to, to see yeah, sort of that it, it i mean obviously being a film um from senegal and and like these they know what they're shooting and they know that their the landscape that it exists in is really beautiful and it really showcases that um yeah. just a really cool, really cool film. yeah really cool film really really very much worth watching um as well as the next film we're going to talk about which just released oh. on criterion channel neptune frost is so cool it's absolutely fabulous i really really love this this is it is Afrofuturism. It's, this is a this is a concept album made into film. Basically, I was reading a little bit about it today. So, is it Saul Williams? Is that his name? Yes. That's the musician behind it. Um, so, it began life as it was going to be a graphic novel. Okay, um, that makes sense. And to then me. it was going to be a stage. And then it was going to be a stage musical. And I wrote a little thing about it today um, for a, for a project that will become apparent later. Um, but it has the kind of like the inherently like countercultural and kind of like independent spirit of what would have been an independent comic yeah it's got that kind of like that graphic novel dna in it like that kind of like more impressionistic style and then it's got like the scope and just like impact of the stage musical aspect as well very much it marries those worlds beautifully and then due to what now i'm gonna have to mention a name here that is unfortunate because then two producers get involved i didn't know this um and this is why the film exists so one is limo aranda um limo aranda um takes on the project puts money into it our second uh, producer, unfortunately, is Ezra Miller, um, and which I did not realise. So, did not you know, know word of warning there. Um, I just because I was looking it up for a little bit of research on it, on it earlier. Um, however, they are they are in, in in producer getting this all made mode. Yeah, um, very much. I. It's. I mean, it's obviously worth mentioning, but I will say for anyone yeah. that might be very fairly turned off by the idea of Lin-Manuel Miranda. He is not like felt in the substance of the film. It's not like you're yes. getting his songwriting or anything like that. It is, it is still very yeah, much. And, and, uh, and Ezra Miller, even less so. Yeah. They, 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 these are names attached to get a thing made. Right. And you know what, as much as I don't like Lin-Manuel Miranda very much as like a, as a creative, I think he has done some really good stuff of getting Certainly. interesting things made at points. Yeah. That's a really good thing you can do with celebrity and the kind of like status that he has. Um, the movie is, is, is so cool. So it is, music spread out evocatively into this like afrofuturist romance musical thing it's these people are like forced indentured workers in mines making things the profit of others and then escape out into this like technological collective um it it sounds very linear it's not really about what's happening at any point it's all about how it's happening and how it's evocative um the closest dialogue thing, I think, to make it make sense to the viewer is, you know, Nadsat from Clockwork Orange, where it's like that made-up language? I don't, um, actually. Um, so Clockwork Orange is written in, I think it's called Nadsat, so okay. a, a language made made up for, for the book by Anthony Burgess. And it just, you, so that's where you get all, all your droogs and stuff from. Gotcha. The dialogue has the feel of that sometimes, where it has this like yeah. layer of its own internal lexus. But rather than being its like dystopia language, 
it's it's also very mellifluous. Like the sounds of the words are just very, very cool. And when someone's saying unanimous gold mine, later yes. they say what that means, but you hear it for a long time like poetry to begin with, like lyricism. And the words they have feel like their own little private language. That's how they express community. It's like it's language is community building. And one of the core ideas of the film is through someone's human connection, it creates a technological connection, which then allows a global connection. And it's like Yes, we can use technology as part of uprisings and collective power, but at the root of that is our humanity and our connections to each other. And the way the art is done of it's these traditionalist structures. So it's like a you know it's a it's a random film. It's very like traditional um, looking village of the architectural style you'd expect, and then mixed with like bits of like keyboard and computer ephemera yeah. just like placed around like keys draped yeah. over like a cloak. And just, like, that patchwork feel is just so awesome of just, like, how can you seize these things and make them expressive? And because it is a film about, like, busting through binaries as well and, like, using the binary of computing and the binary of, like, expression, it's... But it never says any of this stuff. It's yeah. always, like, it's just in its evocative, conceptual expression. It's just such cool filmmaking. I, I really love it. This this is definitely, like, the the positive sort of version of, of being sort of ambiguous in a way and just like being expressionistic and mm. like throwing out these ideas and it's not necessarily one linear concept but it just kind of it just sort of exists in the fabric of all of it and you just kind of as it plays out you just start to sort of understand this world and the way it sets it up is that this sort of this place that these people all escape to is sort of this between worlds like dream mm. dreamscape and that's like it makes it make that much more sense when the movie plays out like that where it like feels very dreamlike and random but because of the way that it's set up and constructed you just kind of go along with that and it just makes sense inherently with the with the way that the film is built yeah totally it, it, it's just really really cool and you have um our main character is a, is is an insect's um main character yes and obviously i someone um, with more ground in that community um, could really speak to how it deals with those things but again like these core ideas about about fluidity and breaking out of like oppressive structures yeah. be they views of gender be they kind of like systemic ideas be they about how labor is forced upon us it just it puts all these disparate parts that like a don't worry darling or even like a saloon can't quite pull together and it just it finds the core that underlines all of them and it is just such right. this like powerful but like uplifting systemic critique it's, yeah, it's, it's just, a very joyous work yeah very much just about like that you have agency and you have this ability to to escape mm. these like regressive structures and and that there is an ability to exist in a more like fluid and free world and that is just it's it's yeah. very much focused on the the liberation of it and not focused on everything before that where these people are are being oppressed and and then on top of all this it feels like that the music well. is so fucking good it's so good <laughs> yeah, and so filmically through style it also feels like it's breaking out and it's subverting and it's just like it's bending in different ways it's just it's, it's a really cohesive brilliant text it's a yeah it's it's, it's absolutely great check yeah, it out so worth watching this you um, have also you have pretty short on, on criterion channel yeah please yeah. please go check this one out very very worthwhile um so Absolutely now that we've great. built through our grab bag there, um, I'll yeah, let you sort of introduce our, our main film for this week. 
Yeah, uh, Moon Age Daydream, um, named after the David Bowie track of the same name from the rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust and Spiders from Mars, um, which is like the classic Bowie album. Um, I am of the insufferable opinion, because I am insufferable about David Bowie, because of course I am, <laughs> that when people think about David Bowie's mu- music, I, I maintain they think about Hunky Dory and like the pop aesthetics of that album. Like that starts... Um, with changes, for example, you've got Life on Mars on that album, yeah. and you've got Queen Bitch on that album as well, and then you've got some like the weird kind of like more like folky stuff on there as well. Um, but aesthetically, people think of Ziggy Stardust, um, even if even if the album maybe is not what sticks with them musically. Um, so this is from Brett Morgan, who did um, the Kurt Cobain film I watched, Montage of Heck. I watched that a long time ago. I've not seen that. I've been meaning um, to, but uh, have not gotten to that yet. I remember liking I it. Things, but it was a yeah. long time ago, um, and yeah, Cards on the Table. I am. I am Bowie obsessive. I, I absolutely adore yeah, as so, a musician David Bowie. So I'm I'm very curious about sort of your Bowie arc, as it were. Like you more recently obviously have gone on this sort of this journey of listening to every Bowie song, which has been covered on, on other yeah. other shows. But yep. Yep. prior to that, I wanted like what was your experience and then what led into you making that decision of like I'm gonna do all of this and kind of take this project on. Um, I've just always, I've just always said Bowie. He was like, it, it was just a an early musical gift from my parents. I remember a Christmas morning when we were very, very young, like when CDs mattered. Um, my parents, my mum's not really into music, but the music she does like, she likes a lot because it, it sticks with her. And yeah. like David Bowie is one of the artists that she likes a lot, and my dad also loves it. So that's like a, a unifying part of like their musical relationship together. Um, and one Christmas, myself and my brother John were just given two CDs, and like they seemed like really happy about this. They're just like, we wanted to give you these CDs because we want you to listen to them, because we think you know, really like them, we think they're important. So I got Diamond Dogs, and he got um, Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust. And the idea was, like, they were, they were both of ours to share. Right. But, like, that was... So I think that's actually pretty why... I, I am, like, weirdly world's biggest Diamond Dogs fan. That's, like, one of my favorite Bowie <laughs> albums. I think it's absolutely fabulous. Um, and just listened to those on repeat so much, and just loved them so much. And then every new thing I found in this artist was different, but interesting. Yeah. And then later I got a copy of David Live, which apparently I also like. I've, I, I, the internet makes you realise things that you make misapprehensions growing up. So I listened to David Live and I thought it was just like the most fabulous live album I've ever heard. So it takes, it's, it's from the Diamond Dogs tour and it's just before Young Americans. And Young Americans is when he makes the, which doesn't really cover in the, in the movie, unfortunately. So he goes to America and he makes this plastic soul album, it's called. So it's kind of, it's like, kind of like manicured, manufactured in like a cool way sounding collection of like Americana, black music inspired soul hits. Um, using musicians from those genres though, so it's not as appropriative to make it sound. So it's got this kind of like freer, more like jamming out sound that is like an expansion. God, if you don't mind everybody, this is going to be insufferable. It's like an expansion of the Aladdin Sane stuff, which is more like piano based, more like jazz based. And what David Live does is it takes those tracks and it puts that sound onto it. And for me, I've always found that fabulous. I've been like, you take these songs that I know and you're deconstructing yeah. them and reconstructing them and playing around with them. And then later I go to the internet and I find out that apparently reviews at the time were that it was just like disappointing and everyone thinks it's kind of like, eh. And I'm like, this is, to me, as good as Stop Making Sense, genuinely. I'm like, this is like, for me, one of like the core live albums <laughs> in general. But that's just like, it's it's the music that, right. that forms you and that you grow up with. Um, so yeah, David Bowie has just been this, 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 this musical constant. And then just deciding that I wanted to explore discography. So it's like, I've always presumed right. that Bowie had like an amazing discography and it's, 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 we've been there. I mean, I, I remember listening to the next day when that came out because they put it up free for a weekend. It was the same weekend that that SimCity game came out. So I just played SimCity and listened to the next day all weekend. 
And then Black Star came out, which I bought the day it came out, listened to it, was just like, this album is brilliant, but it's absolutely inscrutable. What does any of this mean? And then he dies the next week, and you sort of again go, oh, that's why it's inscrutable, because it's all about a man talking about how he's going to die. And I didn't know that was going to happen, and now this album has this layer, and it's so right. sad, and it's so tragic. So, yeah, uh, Bowie is... is Obviously a controversial figure for some reasons the film does not go into. Um, Which, I, I, yeah, I think we'll, we'll definitely come back to sort of the construction of the film itself. I will say I, I'm just kind of, I'm very much sort of surface level um, Bowie fan. I definitely have not really dived into his wider catalog at all. Um, like I would consider myself a fan in the sense that, you know, I, I like the music of his that I know and I like, the songs of his that I know, but the songs of his that I know are, are the popular songs. Um, I'm a fan of, of his as just sort of an, an icon and the, the person that yeah, he is. Yeah, a, a persona, an icon, totally. Um, I like everything pretty much that, you know, like I, I've always enjoyed when he has appeared in things. I've enjoyed his... I'm definitely more familiar with his filmography as an actor um, than, than his, his musical catalog. Which the film yeah, does yeah. touch I mean, on a little bit in, a, in a, I think, an effective way. I, 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 it does, and I like that it uses that footage. Yeah. Um, but we'll, we'll, I, I, so I really want to know what you think about this movie, um, and then I'll, I'll go into my just like Bowie pilled kind of like far too long form take on it. But I really which want I'm to know excited what to hear. You think. Um, I'll say kind of my base level sort of simplified review of it um, is that it's a movie that I like a lot, and I think the mm. the form of it really meets the subject in a very perfect way to me um i think that it being so sort of kaleidoscopic yeah kaleidoscopic and um like the film itself feels very alien in a way which is very fitting to bowie's whole persona and, and who he is as a person like it it is an effective argument for why there was never really any need to make like that very standard boring like biopic about yeah. him um like they the, still did do that they just they still but un, right unlicensed <laughs> and, and not allowed um but yeah like this is an effective argument for why like this is the kind of film that i think that this kind of person needs and at the same time i think that it is way too long um is kind of my, I, my I, main drawback i don't think it. it's too long at all I, I emma would agree with you so emma um, also agree that it's like I, I, I thought it absolutely flew by um, like genuinely because I think it's so musically propulsive I feel the film works as an album of these remixed interlinked songs and it has such oral um, momentum the whole way through yeah. no, very much so. at no point at no point did I feel over, and at the end I was like I, and also because I knew there were areas where it was right. like skipping over and stuff at the end I was just like no I, 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 I do want more I want so much more of this at no point did it dip at no point did I feel the length it was just this completely immersive experience now there is a bit part way through that emma so emma told me she's off the beginning and she really really liked the end so like the kind of like the back half of it where it's like him reflecting on yeah how much he actually enjoyed his life and his relationship with Ahmad is really is really nice um and it's like you get some real great perceptions out of that and the beginning's great because it's setting up the phenomenon that is david bowie um and then she said that the bits in the middle were just a bit like eh um yeah, I, I would definitely agree. I would definitely agree. I like the I like the wider construction of it. I think the beginning is is brilliant, and like I said, like it very immediately, I'm like, oh, like this is what this is going to be, and that's yeah. perfect. Like this is what I would want this movie to be, you know, about this 
this person like i don't need necessarily a movie that just or a documentary that just is a, a very flat boring description of of his life i don't need to have talking heads telling me about how much they love david bowie yeah just i mean i'm sure me, that david Bowie does love bowie but you know <laughs> just giving me like his music and him talking and him you know in interviews and stuff like that like that's what i want i love the way that it's sort of bookends with kind of similar things like it starts one way and it kind of ends sort yeah. of playing out yeah, with yeah. Those same oh, notes. oh oh yeah i i think I, that's I, great. I love that but yeah the the middle eventually i think to me really does start to to drag and it gets to a point where to me and again this is part of like not being as familiar as you are because i totally understand yeah. like knowing very intimately all those different eras that he went through and you see all the stuff that's missing and you go well why didn't you give me that but for me it just felt like it reaches a point where maybe two thirds of the way through the movie, I'm like, I'm just, you're just kind of seeing the same things again. It shows a lot of the same footage and doesn't introduce a whole lot of new ideas. And because the film is constructed in this very kaleidoscopic sort of psychedelic way, it, it's hard for it to do a lot of new things for me. And so it just mm. kind of started to feel like, okay, like, now I understand what this is and I understand what you're doing and you don't need to be doing this for two hours and 15 minutes was kind of how it felt for me. I get that. I, I, I love the associative imagery. I quite like the looping and repetitions because I feel it deals with um, reinvention and repetition like as part of its like narrative that it puts forward of this kind of like meditations on themes and it going back to. I will say the bit that other people do find like it drags. I totally get that because that's, that's the Bowie nerd section basically. Right. Like, if you are interested in a 30-minute segment where they go very in-depth on how David Bowie produced the albums Low and Heroes, he's going to talk about <laughs> that for 30 minutes. And I love those albums. I was absolutely fascinated. And it's stuff that you know we, we, we know and have access to. But just seeing it in the context, it's just wonderful. And just like them talking about experimentations. Um, I, so I think the film is absolutely brilliant. I really, really loved it. I do think it has some, some major issues um, that still allow it to be brilliant, but I think are problems. So I think its core issue is it's two films in one. Of It is pretending to be this very experimental, free-associated film. And it's not really, because... I would agree, yeah. At the core of it is a linear, frustratingly linear, just like chronology through Bowie's career. And it's just like, there's this conventional documentary wearing a typicality, yeah. and it just needed to go either one more way than the other. And... Because it does omit so much, I generally wouldn't care if it was more experimental, if it felt more free if it felt more non-linear. But because it doesn't feel non-linear, I'm like, well, why are you not talk about that? And the cumulative effect for me of this film, as much as I love David Bowie, this film plays too much of the hagiography of him. It does present him as... And this is why I want, I want, I want to ask you some things. Because okay. this the, the film presents it as bursts out onto the scene brilliantly and is this just like ever-exchanging creative force and then there's a period where he just decides I'm going to take a left turn and do this instead take that fame right. and then he decides oh actually I'm, I can be a pop star and then he's hugely successful maybe not as like artistically he's creative and then at the end of his career he gets like creative again and like finds love that's the narrative that puts across right? Yeah and I think that's certainly just sort of a problem not really problem I mean I guess for this film specifically but I think that's something that's I mean sort of unavoidably inherent to documentaries is that it's going to form some sort of specific um, narrative bias um, in, in mm. any way. But I will say just my previous knowledge of Bowie, I was kind of reminded, 
after this film ended, I kind of had this sort of flashback to college where I did not like a, a project, but I took a countercultures class, which is a really cool class. Um, but there was a, mm. a time we were talking about David Bowie and I ended up watching, I have no idea what it was, but I ended up watching some kind of, of documentary on him. So it's like, I very much know that it was not just like, Maybe cracked actor. he didn't just cracked become famous instantly. He wasn't just, he didn't burst out into the scene like that. Like there were so many years where he was struggling to, you know, emerge yeah. as an artist before that point happened. So I was aware of that. And that definitely is something that the film does not touch on. It just, yeah, it does just very much play with him as being hugely famous the entire time. My, f- my problem with that is I think those things make him more interesting and I think yes. what I found from my discography thing is David Bowie is an interesting artist because he's not hitting every time because he misses at points. Yeah. And that's why he's fascinating. And it is a shame this album, this, this, I call it an album because it feels like an album, this film starts with, like, the furthest musically it goes back are songs from his second album. There is a first album. A first album right. exists. Why isn't it the film? Because it's not very good. Because it's just not a very good album. But because, because this film wants to be an aesthetic work, it wants to be the good album with the good songs. It ignores all of that. Yeah. But then it also wants to be taking you through the life of Bowie. And I'm like, be the Bowie musical. Be the, you know, yeah. the We Will Rock You kind of like collection of songs without the stupid narrative stuff. Be that. Be your mixtape of Bowie with footage. Or be the Let's Unpick This Person. So the other things that are weird to me. So we skip off the fact that there's a first album that's crap. Um, then it sets up that he goes to America um for change it ignores the album young americans which is the <laughs> album that he makes with the american sound which is such a shame because it's such a wonderful album and it's such like a an, an oral left turn and then it goes to like berlin stuff and do you know much about that stuff i don't know so what was the why do you think he did that what was being presented to you in the film it was why, why, I, I, why did he strip back I so think much? The do you reckon? Only reason that it presents in the film is just a unless I'm forgetting that it's just a direct quote from him where he just says he wants to be in like an arduous place and that his his thought was I'm going to go to Berlin to sort of get that yeah. artistic inspiration. Yeah, that man had like a like a debilitating cocaine addiction and like does not even remember recording a lot of that stuff. Um, so Station to Station, which is maybe my favourite David Bowie album, is just like a thing that he's talked about of being like produced it from a place where he doesn't even remember doing any of it. Interesting. And like that man was just just gone to the world and hit so low down that kind of like forcefully isolates himself from that culture and then that's when those albums come out of. That's the context there. <laughs> that's the context. Yeah. Also, it, it, it briefly alludes to this. Also, during the Station Station stuff, um, he got in a lot of very mm, hot water that he very much should have done because there's, there's that Thin White Duke character that the songs are all from. And he started just like spouting loads of just like far right rhetoric. And the movie shows it for a tiny bit, but it's like blink if you'll miss it. Like where he talks about people going sometimes like you've got to go to 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 actually get changed yeah. you've got to go all the way to the right and like it, it throws that out of nowhere um and like that's again more interesting right. to engage that thing um then the bit that's even more interesting to me is the bit when it, it just claims that now he's super popular crazy bowie man actually that period not all those albums are very popular some of them are not popular at all some of them are his lowest charting albums of all time and like are not re-listened really to and the reason so the film 
I want to tell you, what's your implication that the problem was the stuff was popular and too commercial and not as ex- not as cool as it could have been? Yeah, it definitely... No, it certainly does imply Is that. that the there's, there's, a, there's a large segment of the film where it talks about how he sort of became complacent and just wanted to make easy, commercialized art. Um and again like not being super familiar it's like i don't know how accurate that stuff is when it's presenting it but the thing is vaughn the music shit (laughs) (laughs) he just made quite a few shit albums for a while yeah it doesn't it definitely doesn't deal with it in that way like it talks about how he's doing that but it sort of also is presenting it as like yeah he was doing this sort of commercialized stuff but it was still what he wanted to do and it was still cool and it's like if that's bad stuff it's it definitely you don't get that from the movie it's also there are different levels of commercialism, and it's not commercial in the way it presents itself. Why those albums are not very good, and, and like, um, so there's a little bit of bitter of suburbia music in there. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, it entirely skips something like um, Black Tie White Noise, which is the album that he made inspired by his relationship with Amman, and it, and it presents that relationship as being this like guiding cultural force because it links that musically to tracks of Outside and tracks of Black Star. So you see the Amman relationship happen, and then the next music we hear is a track of Outside, which is a very creative, very brilliant album, and then a track of, of Black Star. So it makes it sound like being like, and then he was creatively like reinvigorated. Like there's a big gap between that, mate. There's a huge gap. Yeah, I, I, I did find the relationship stuff interesting because i feel like it really just Mm. throws it in at the very end and doesn't really like i would have liked to see much more of that because i know that it's not like they were married married for for a long period of time you know like it's not like is the director of moon mentioned the director of moon i know like they never talk about his son (laughs) was 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 born around the time of hunky dory (laughs) so that's that's like that's before ziggy stardust and it does it does like it purposefully presents it as like this relationship was very reinvigorating and fulfilling to him mm. and then and it, that's and about it and then it, it just kind of the movie ends shortly after and i'm like give me more of that like i want to see that side of bowie more but it presents I really love that stuff it presents a lot more bowie of being really avoidant and scared of the idea of a relationship and i would have liked to see more of that second half which is him being happily in a relationship but I, yeah, I, I love the reflective side there and the experimental side it does there. Um, but just, I feel that that only becomes interesting when you engage with the stuff that's underpinning it. And generally, there's a huge... Mus- in this music, in this film about David Bowie, we, in a, in a career that spans four to five decades, we actually cover maybe like 10 years music. Like, yeah. genuinely. I, I mean, I think we, there's we, sort of an impossibility to how long he was active as an artist and how much he made and like how long you can actually make a movie like this i think but then but then don't make your film chronological don't do right no i, I agree that's why not like, I engage with make it. it more experimental and weird and yeah really lean into that because it, it's, it's just so telling that they they jump genuinely from a track of let's dance which let's dance is a decent album like it's, it's not it's not amazing but it's, it's decent so they, they jump from let's dance you hear two two instrumental tracks from but of suburbia played as if they're just like incidental they're not they're not featured tracks and then we jump to two songs from outside and they rule so it gets you remember it because it goes through hello space boy being played in a concert and that moment in the movie absolutely fantastic yeah yeah of course you but of course you do that of course you skip the boring music in the middle <laughs> right. and then play the one good song and then it just then the next track you hear is from 2016 <laughs> so there's a, a 1995 album maybe it's 1997 i forget so we jump like 10 years <laughs> then jump another 10 years it's just like yeah it's, it's, it is strange to me and i feel 
So a thing that I really like about it, I'm sorry, I'm talking way too much. A thing no, I really like about it is, is is how it uses music very cleverly for people like me. So it intersperses tracks from his first album throughout really wonderfully to like recontextualize how far he's gone. And it ends with one of the tracks off his first his, his second album because it's the first album of the thing right love that and the underscoring one of the coolest things it does is when he's doing his commercial period rather than playing you the commercial period of music it plays you rock and roll suicide the last track off ziggy stardust which is about the death of this like megastar this like otherworldly figure and what have they become like the death of right. fame etc i mean it's, it, it's in the name and that's such a great visual and oral metaphor of not playing the music that he's playing but playing the, he wrote a song about this, and now he's become that thing. A thing that I love even more than that is when they show the Iman relationship, the song they pick um, is a song of Station to Station, and, it, 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 and it's an absolutely beautiful song, and they've not played songs from that album yet. And what's interesting about Station to Station is all of those tracks are sung from this Finn White Duke persona. Um, and the idea of it is it, it's, it's an album of love songs from someone who doesn't really experience love, so they're all these okay. kind of like affected, yeah. kind of like hollow ghost emotions and transposing a song with loving words but ghostly kind of like production onto actual love and actual feeling to me as bowie fan i'm like that's such a beautiful such an intelligent such a brilliant way of doing that be that movie but what it's actually doing is being like we don't actually want to play the song from black tie white noise about (laughs) how he's talking about his relationship so this song is better (laughs) so we're gonna put it here instead and rather than playing the glass spider stuff the glass spider tour is gonna go rock and roll suicide's a better song so we're gonna put that over it instead (laughs) so it's just doing both and like it makes this brilliant album-like moment and it goes back to i wish the film was that i wish the film was just this experimental non-linear take because in the end, the Force chronology makes it hagiography, and it's just more Bowie as like godlike alien figure. Yeah. And he's not that, and that's why he's interesting. Yeah, I, I definitely, I do wish that it had. If you're going to narrativize it more like that, like you do need to dig into that stuff of like, yes, he presented himself as this very alien, otherworldly figure, but and it does touch on it at points, but it's like you need to dig more into the actual human that is behind all of that and i like when it really digs into that but it's like there's so much more Mm. to that i mean you it it, it very much like we talked about before like it starts with this just instant like superstardom and it starts with david bowie as this revolutionary androgynous figure and it's like but he wasn't always that he did not start out as that that was i I, this is the little that i know about sort of his origins it's like i know that that was a turn that came at a certain point a decision that yeah was made a crappy folk right (laughs) um so i definitely would have liked to see more of that and it's like i want to see more of right just leaning into either side of it like that beginning where it is very experimental and and free-spirited and I want that, and I don't want it to dip into where it does just become linear and narrativized. I also, and Emma brought this up, it's a, it's a really good point, and I think like its style um, actually is a little bit irresponsible in places because it forces you to make connections that are untrue. Um, so it, 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 it doesn't really engage a lot with his actual influences, but it shows you pictures of his influences. And when he's talking about his art, it flashes up his art, and Emma was just like, well, that's a Pollock, that's a Basquiat, but like, it that's it is really important interesting. to you that that's David Bowie's stuff. Some of it probably is. 
a lot of it yeah, isn't. Yeah, everything that it presents, um, it definitely implies to the viewer that it is Bowie's work. Mm. I would and, not have known. And and also, like, you've now seen The Man Who Fell to Earth. Yes. A lot of the movie is just Man Who Fell to Earth footage. If you didn't know it was that, you'd be like, well, look at this Afira David Bowie footage. And you're like, yeah, it, that's no, that's one of the. That's not. It's such that. an interesting thing about the movie is that it uses all this Bowie footage, and for better or for worse, I will say, like, because it, it's from all these different sources and it never really has any interest in telling you where that's from very which briefly I like what was that which ultimately i like as a decision i do too but, uh, but it, it definitely there are points where you're curious what it is because it can use these things that are not him as a person and then ascribe it to this is bowie yeah. and not this is bowie as a character in a movie you know when it's showing bowie isolated in a chamber in merry christmas mr lawrence and it's, it's talking about bowie's isolation it's like right but that's him playing a character that's not bowie sitting in a pit by choice you know <laughs> yeah it's it's is it the kuleshov effect i forget i'm getting my things mixed up i think it might be that idea of like you put one image after another to like right. make the audience make an interpretation from that and the film just doesn't quite have the grasp of that that it needs to or it does it kind of like irresponsibly sometimes but underpinning that is this core logic which i really, really enjoy and it's the best part of the mo- movie is just been like every projected version of ourselves is a version of ourselves yes. and when we are in role we are still ourselves in that role and that bowie is performed the whole way through so the way it nets that stuff together i think is actually is generally brilliant but then again that would benefit from the movie being more experimental and less him occasionally just being like i'm right. making art and it shows you some art it's because it goes into conventionality um my other point, I think, why I do think it's brilliant, because I do think it's brilliant, the crux of the film for me is one interview, which I just thought was just... So actually there's two. There's one way it just... A bit of the facade cracks if it's him talking about his mum. That was really that interesting. It's really, really interesting. Yeah. Um, but for me, the heart of the film is... And it's what makes it work cohesively as a film about identity and about how we live with ourselves. Just one interview just says, I think you're really good at being convincing. And I'm like... Yeah, I think you're right. I think he is. Because within 10-minute gaps, he just contradicts himself. Yeah. He says, like, I never want to be commercial. I love doing this. I'd hate that. And like he's been like, no, I've actually always wanted this. And I just think... like No, go ahead. And just, just in every moment, he's just so good at being so assured and so confident and living himself like he is his true self. And when you see that just kaleidoscopically put together, yeah. it becomes fascinating being like, you are very good at being convincing. Very, very good. And that's actually quite scary about the slipperiness of the identity beneath that. Yeah, to me, that's like this very, what I found to be like a very like profoundly beautiful, like sign, the kind of humanist core to this movie is like this presentation of this this man who outwardly was like so convincingly confident and um sure of himself in all of these different personas but then you constantly see that like you said like you see that facade crack and you see that like inside of that is someone that's very insecure and troubled and challenged and i wish that it did more of that but i really liked those moments when you do see that Mm. and, and especially because there are moments where those things happen like back to back and that's what was like so fascinating they're so interesting they're yeah. so interesting and i do love the back third when it's much more kind of like a broader him reflecting on things that he's said and being like oh actually and just like it's a very interesting way of looking looking at the world um i think it's a remarkably put together film i think, I think it's, it's a really, really beautiful good. film yeah I, and um, certainly there are, are things to um pick apart and complain about but yeah it, it is a very worthwhile endeavor as a documentary and i think um just really really beautiful to watch and please i would say yeah. 
see it in a theater if you if you can at all the biggest the biggest loudest screen you can have because yeah seeing that imax for the opening weekend and when that hello space boy concert comes on it's just like <laughs> yeah. oh my god yes and again and, well here's the thing actually because obviously i don't know because i'm too close so i knew every song obviously and obviously i've listened to every song but i don't like no i don't know right. every like i don't because i've listened to the whole discography like a couple of times now um the main discography at least but i'm not instantly there with every track but every track that was in there i've been like yep know it know it know it know it know it how was because so for me it didn't it like i recognize some of them being deep cuts but they're still like mainstream deep cuts how did the soundtrack feel to you i mean it was really good i think that speaks to sort of the film's strength is like it it works for you as a huge fan it also works for me as sort of a more removed fan of his like obviously i recognize the the biggest tracks on there and when it does go into that stuff that i was unfamiliar with or those deeper cuts sort of i was like it's more just me like a sales pitch of like oh i need to be listening to more bowie because this stuff is very good and there's more that i should be listening to um so i need to just go through and listen to um i think the album of the the film probably a few times yeah no i didn't just explore more of his music for sure i do have to recommend that i've listened through to the album a few times it's it's really cool It, it just is the movie it just it plays it just sons the narration it just plays through how those tracks are put together and they're put, they're put together. It makes you realize how nicely they are put together. Yeah. And for me, how it does earn its length. Yeah, there's and, a really great yeah, flow I, to all of it. And yes, I I can get a bit like, oh, why is there nothing off this album? But when we do eventually get like Wild as the Wind off Station to Station, it's used so goddamn well, and it is nice to hear them like non chronological right. points, and it can it can get potentialized. It's a really interesting track list. It's not one that I'd have made, um, but it's a really good one. Yeah, that's an sort of an interesting thing to think about is like obviously there's so many i mean, I don't do you know offhand even a, a ballpark of like how many total songs are like in his discography I've got, just a, a, a ridiculous amount because he's got so many albums right because um, it's like from it's, very distinct periods yeah it just makes it sort of like impossible like you could probably pick you know any selection of you know, 40 songs or whatever and make a, a really compelling playlist out of that yeah but that's um, why you don't spend like an entire hour and 20 minutes covering like four years. Yeah, definitely a lot more that, that can be done. But yeah, I think this is about yeah. as good as, or about as much as I could ask for like what uh, documentation of, of Bowie could it's, be. I certainly don't want it's a hell of an achievement. conventional or, or fictionalized or narrativized like that. Um, so I think this is, this is about all I could, all I could ask for from, yeah, I think it's a really quite yeah. stunning thing. It's a, a, a brilliant achievement and a, and, and a really wonderful film that I can penetrate talk about. I think it goes back to the the clear issue of it is it is not as atypical as it thinks it is, and I think that works against it ultimately. But its presentation and as a sensory experience is is really quite something else. Yeah, no, it's yeah very much an experience to to take that in. Um, mm. So this is going to be a short we'll segment this week. But do you want to jump into our listener mail? I would love to. from our same the same friend uh, both times we got two emails from oh. david to share with you um so no time for a lengthy email today i'm sure you're relieved but i had to write in for an episode regarding david bowie this is mostly a request for steven the mm. known bowie expert but i want to encourage vaughn to participate and contribute as much as he can as well 
What would a remake be a of John Carpenter's The Thing look like if you recast all the parts with the different iterations of David Bowie personas? Oh, it's like <laughs> Among Us, but like with those um, um Yeah, really interesting question. I just, my the little list, not specifically, but the little list I put together, I just went for uh, the different cinematic iterations of Bowie. Um, but I would definitely love to hear your thoughts on, on his musical personas yeah it's like well i mean well i guess i guess the black star persona definitely doesn't win because that one's a sad dying man so that one's not doing very well (laughs) there's Um, there's definitely too many to include all of them so i would say feel free to omit the ones Um, that don't fit perfectly yeah i mean the the finn white jukes are fascists so that probably has like uh probably like a, a judiciousness going there but also maybe not survive very long i mean the ziggy stardust persona is just gonna I did, oh, then there's the. Oh, here's. Go back to the movie. Nothing off Man Who Fell to Earth. Sorry. Uh, no, sorry. Nothing off of Man Who Sold the World. Where's, where's, where's my Man Who Sold the World stuff? Where's my Man Who Sold the World content? I don't know. Come on, Vaughn. So, the, I mean, the, yeah, there's definitely definitely a lot missing. There's no uh, yeah. no Tesla Bowie in the movie. There's no Zoolander Bowie in the movie. <laughs> Good. Really disappointing. Oh, Zoolander <laughs> Bowie. Yeah. Okay. David Bowie in Zoolander is going to do very well. I think Goblin, Goblin King is going to do yeah, very well. Yeah, there was well only one shot bracket. of Labyrinth Bowie. I was kind of disappointed yeah. in that. Um, yeah, yeah. He does very well on the, in, in this John Cumber's The Thing thing. Um, obviously, the Mr. Lawrence doesn't do that well because his weakness again is is, is love um, yeah, yeah. Um, his ultimate weakness in the stadium as well um, I think... maybe him playing Andy Warhol, <laughs> maybe him yeah, playing Andy Warhol I had that on my list was Warhol <laughs> or Baal I think he's like Baal like the demon Baal in, in a from the guy that made Elephant not Gus Van Sant's Elephant Alan Parker uh, off the top of my head I don't know um, my only main thought was just that you would have um Obviously, you'd have Man Who Fell to Earth Bowie uh, as the one that they discover in the ice. Um, yeah, the, the sort movie's of the, so good. Initial Bowie. You watched that movie this week. Tell us about I it. Did. Oh, Alan such, Clark. Such Alan a Clark, great movie. Sorry. I mean, that is like outside of documentary. That is to me just such a perfect film to cast Bowie in. Like this movie about this alien trying to fit in among humans and trying to understand human convention and this sort of ruthlessness of humanity and you cast bowie in that main role of being this you know what got him cast what was that do you know what got him cast in that because there's a specific thing you've seen it now as well so they show a bit in minaged daydream of from the alan yentob documentary cracked actor which i've seen on tv but a long time ago and it's that scene of him in the car talking about how there's an invasive species in his milk when he's clearly just like off his head on cocaine and you remember it in the movie it's just like it's just it's him holding that milk and being like there's something in it's like there's a bug in there oh, he's yeah, like there's yeah, a bug yeah. in my milk and he talks about it apparently nick rogue saw that i was just like that man i need that <laughs> man in this movie but that clip is what 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 it like actually just reached out to him and as i've said on many podcasts um my favorite thing about the man who felt worth is that the studio saw the rough cut of it and complained were like this is like unsaleable to which Nick Rogue was like, you hired me with this novel, Carson <laughs> David Bowie. What did you expect? Right. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. No, it's... These three factors. Like, come on. Such a great movie. Yeah, it's, it's such a great performance. Really Just, movie. Yeah, brilliant. I think, performance-wise, I think that would probably be my, my favorite um, Bowie performance. And then I would, I would put... Um, Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, right behind that, I think. Oh, Merry Christmas, Lawrence is so, just one of my absolute favorite movies. Oh, um, yeah. 
absolutely just absolutely stunning um if we take david bowie from the front cover of diamond dogs where he has those like he's like to... part animal okay, look, up, look up the front cover for, of diamond dogs um that bowie is gonna murder you that, <laughs> okay that, um, <laughs> that was that bowie, not what i was expecting but okay i mean that that bowie that's literally killing that's literally the the dog from the beginning of the thing i mean you Mm, it's got hounds. Yeah. It's got hounds behind them. Um, oh, and I didn't even mention we also have um, Vampire Bowie from the movie you haven't seen, The Hunger. No, I need to see that. Which, yeah, oh, great I mean, movie. I and they have the, they have a couple the, brief clips of that in Moon Age Daydream, which I was. I guess happy he wins because he's a vampire. That's true. I, I, yeah, Vampire Bowie would do very well. Although he's just kind of aging and dying in that movie. Um, okay. Make, but, well, he won again. <laughs> spoilers for Black Star. Um, yeah, good question. Thank you. Just, just yeah. Bowie. Fun, fun question to about all those different personas. Mm. And then we've got one more quick email. Hi, spoilers. Sorry, I lied. I actually have one more Bowie question for Stephen. I need hey. to know your Hello. all-time favorite single song from him. Personally, I never fail to be moved by the emotional heft of the vocals and piano melody of Lady Stardust. Oh, Lady Stardust is very, very good. That's an excellent shout. Um, oh God, can I be that person that actually gives three answers to the question instead? You can do whatever um, you want. I, I, I think I might be. <laughs> um, so my cheat answer is specifically the version of Time on David Live is just phenomenal. Um, and I'd not heard that song on the record before. And that song has always been like, never lived up to that for me. Um on Diamond Dogs, there are three songs that make up one song. So it's um, Sweet Thing, Into Candidate, Into Sweet Thing Reprise, which I just adore. I love me, love me a long song. Um, and Station to Station, the track Station to Station is just unbelievably brilliant. But then Stay is just as good as that album, maybe. It's just uh, very, very difficult. Um, when it comes down to it, if maybe I could only hear one Bowie song again okay. for the rest of my life, it might be Rock and Roll Suicide. Okay. All right. Well, that is there. You go, David. You've got a definitive answer for what Stephen's favorite all-time Bowie song is, and a couple of bonus answers for fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's that's all I've got for our emails this week. Um, Thank you very much. But probably nice for a change to have a, that segment be a little bit short. <laughs> it's been it's probably a, 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 a smaller bag with a, a, a larger grab bag and a smaller email yes. bag. You know, there's only there's, there's only so much things that we have. Um, so yeah, that's, that's that's another episode in the books. Some good movies, some absolutely abysmal movies. Do not go watch. Don't worry, darling. It's absolutely terrible. <laughs> go see Steven, Daydream. It's before fabulous. we end. I've got to ask yes? from what you've been watching recently. What do you have to recommend? Oh, the my segment God, I was that you about this. <laughs> that you always seem to forget. I yeah, I was always worried because <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd not been watching many things, and I was just like, "What am I going to have to recommend?" And I was I was worried that I wasn't going to have anything, and I was going to fall back and be like stuff I didn't really like that much, oh, or it was no just problem. like recent. You can go back as far as you need to, to, to talk about. Like it. I was, I was gonna, I was almost going to recommend just the Texas Chainsaw Massacre too, because <laughs> <laughs> I watched it again recently for reasons that become clear. Yeah, are later. you promoting your other projects on my on the show now? <laughs> No, um, but then Saturday morning, I watched a movie, and as I was watching it, I was like, "Yes, okay, what yes, do you got? yes." I am going to recommend the 2002 classic. I'm saying absolute classic, Techno Lust. Okay. Have you seen Techno Lust? I haven't. I have. I, I believe I remember um, 
Cormac talking about it. I, I want <laughs> to say that like he did not like that movie. No, um, um, not a great movie, but a utterly fascinating. I'm a little bit obsessed with it. You need to watch this. I'm going to read you the letterbox description. Okay. Anxious to use artificial life to improve the world, Rosetta Stone, that's her name, <laughs> a biogeneticist creates a recipe for cyborgs and uses her own DNA in order to breed three self-replicating automatons, part human, part computer, named Ruby Olive Marine. Now, all these characters are played what? by Tilda Swinton. All right. Of them. Now, that isn't getting to what the movie's actually about. Hmm. What if I was to tell you that Under the Skin is a remake of this movie? Most certainly. Um, most of this movie is what? about, like weird like semen demon basically of <laughs> so um, many questions like tilda swinton one of the two I, I don't want i don't want to give i don't want to give too much away but a character played by tilda swinton like gets lonely men gets them to have sex with her um with them because oh, there's so much gender fluidity in this film so i'll say like it's because it's very it's so very interesting so it's hellraiser um, makes them use a condom that they bring with them and then takes that condom home to like use it as a tea bag to put in things to to what? But then after the copulation cuddles them, like forces them to have like like being like give me a cu-. and it's like you can tell that the men are only in it for sex, right? And then she's like let's have a cuddle, and they're like yeah, fine. And it's it's implied that it's because it's this movie has so many ideas that it's through that kind of like um, through that connection that has no emotion, then they get a computer virus that's an actual virus that they get like a number on their head and then men are becoming sick just like and becoming just like um uh just emasculated it's just none of it quite makes sense but all of it makes sense at one point someone sets up someone's door and just like phones up and just says the phrase biogender warfare and i'm like i'm so in for this movie someone just said biogender warfare um it's so cool it's so interesting it throws so much out there it's the kind of film that i would watch i would watch again and be like this is a masterpiece would watch again and be like yo again (laughs) love it but you are like none of this fits it's the acting's all over the place but like so known and affected the it's so early internet aesthetic it would make the best double bill of existence ever of being like does not even care about the technology at the center of it and making it make sense it's just like like the central hub of her house is like the microwave which also works like a screen and like a transmitter and everything there's this cool little tiny green car she drives around in just it's just great it's just it's just, it's also not great at all. And that's <laughs> why it's great. Yeah, I, well, I mean, for better or worse, I am sold on watching this. I have no idea it's like 80 minutes how long. I'm going to... Oh, that's, I mean, easy. It's on Mubi. You just, it's on Mubi. Anyone that's got Mubi, just watch Technolust. It's just... I just don't know. Well, I'm very, I'm, I mean, I'm certainly... I am, I'm very interested in that now. Um, I will have mm. to check that out soon. I definitely always need... 80 minute movies to uh to throw on when i don't have a ton of time um i've got one to recommend that you are aware of and that i know that you love and this will add to our Ooh. our show's uh repertoire of varda movies that have been recommended um, <gasps> i know which one this is yes so i watched uh Jacques Wo this week and oh my god what a movie it's one of I the best just, films. It really is. Really, I, I mean, I'm a huge, huge fan of uh, Jacques Demy as a director. Um, yeah. Still, sort of working through the last few uh, films in his filmography, but I, I just absolutely adore everything of his that I have seen. And watching this, I mean, it's it's 
the most like heartbreakingly sweet thing that just exists i mean you can just feel varda's like admiration and adoration of him as a person just it just bleeds through the screen and it's it's so wonderful it's just it's absolutely brilliant and 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 like it no go ahead it 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 works as a great biopic of um the early life of jacques Demy, but it also just works as this kind of like ode to creativity yeah just this ode to going out there and doing your thing and like carving your own path it's just so creatively revitalizing it's just oh, and it, it's, yeah it's just it's such a everything about it as a film is just so creative and so like perfectly yeah. unconventional like it does these brilliant things with the way that it uses color like the the world surrounding him is always presented in black and white and then when you see the world through his eyes it is so vibrant and colorful and you it just it gives such a sense of like who he was and like what was important to him and then it does this great thing where like it is like this fictionalized biopic of him but then you also have it intercutting with footage from his films and like the the moments of his childhood that like then have these connections to what he put in his films it's just like it's it's so sweet it's so wonderful it's just like it's phenomenal uh, it's one yeah. one of one of her best movies and she's the greatest filmmaker of all time so that's you know very yeah i mean i have always i'm always in need of watching a more of arda and this was, watching this was like a great sort of entry of like okay i need to need to spend more time um, watching her movies so i like I the certainly be doing that Oh, unplug my headphones. I like the um, word of Jacques Demy as well, which is a more conventional film. Um, yeah, it's just also... like a, a documentary, is that am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll definitely It's really lovely, and it's with your grounding in, in Demy, you'll get you get a lot out of it. I'd also I've recommended it on this podcast before again, but the the the, the widows of Noirmoutier or whatever the place is called again is stealthily a film about jack to me so okay. that make, they'd make a they'd make a yeah a very upsetting triple bill <laughs> oh no well I, I probably won't won't be watching everything back to back but yeah i'll definitely yeah. Um, be checking that out so that's what i've got um for this week so mm. let's get to just our, our final little few plugs here and then we will end the show so as always, we've got uh, the rest of the podcasts on the Twin Geeks network. The Twin Geeks are still working through Altman. Um, Daydreamcast still growing strong. Um, I don't know if you guys have been working on uh, Motorncast, if that's you guys have got something new coming out soon. We are recording an episode on Thursday to talk about local legends. Awesome. That's one of the best movies. Very excited mm. to listen to that. Um, 808s and Pod Breaks uh, connection there. They did recently do an episode on Harry Styles and the uh, Don't Worry Darling stuff. Um, if you want to check that out, you have been working on a lot of stuff for the stacks, as I understand. Yeah, a lot of that. Well, this keeps being like a tease, but you're going to see a lot of stack stuff very, very soon. We are kind of like making a little backlog to make certain things worth it. Mysterious, but a good tease, I think. But if um, you. <laughs> Do you want to know what Stephen thinks of Dread? Do you want to know what I think of Dread? Do you want to know what Jack thinks of Dread? Maybe one day you'll find out. <laughs> I can't wait to find out. I have out. unrated that movie on Letterboxd. There is no way of knowing what I think about unrated? it. I revisited it. Wow, very mysterious. It has, All of this very you know shrouded no, Only Jack knows what I think about Dread. Only Jack knows. And maybe for some people, some people in the future, they'll be able to access mine and Jack's opinion. 
on Dread. <laughs> this is a very, a very elaborate tease. I like it a lot. A um, couple more things. Uh, I will say Jack and I just yesterday recorded an interview with the film lads, um, talking to them about their movie The Lad Goodbye, which I will continue wow, to plug and promote. Uh, that interview will probably be out by the time this episode is out, um, cool. so go check that out. That'll be on uh, thetwingeeks.com and on our interviews feed. Uh, but this really, really great guys, really fun conversation that we had with them, so excited to be putting that out. Um, and then speaking of Jack, everyone should listen to his album that he just released, uh, Last Night Club on Earth. Uh, go buy it Which, on Bandcamp. This may surprise you. I actually scored an exclusive interview with um, Jack Davenport to talk about that album on the next episode of Office Hours. So oh, if that's you wanna, awesome. I, got this, I, I don't know how I got him. <laughs> how, how, how did I, on the Stacks Office Hours, get Jack Davenport as a guest <laughs> to interview about his, his album? But um, there is a, a long conversation about, about his album and our thoughts about it awesome. so yeah it's a great album everyone everyone should absolutely mm. go listen to that if you have not um another thing that just should be plugged everywhere um yes. so yeah please uh if you enjoyed the podcast uh drop a rating for us it would help us a lot um if you have friends that like listening to podcasts tell them to listen to our podcast because it's a good podcast take their phones download it onto them make it subscribe you can do that. I don't know if I'll specifically recommend the same thing, but I'll leave that with Steven. <laughs> you've, got, you've got a friend that knows that they like cool things. Just borrow their phone. Subscribe them. There you go. We're... Play it to them while they're sleeping. <laughs> Guerrilla marketing on the Spoiling Things podcast. Yeah. Um... How about trap them? Trap them in a simulation where they think that <laughs> you're their wife and then just play this podcast to them repeatedly. It makes as much sense as the movie. <laughs> that would make about as much sense as the movie. You're absolutely right. Um, all right, well, if you've got nothing else... That... I have nothing else. All right, I've well given then, everything. we'll be back in two weeks. But for now, Stephen, I'm thinking of ending this podcast. Mm-hmm.